so it's going to be a couple different parts on this. The sermon, so the first part I'm doing today, and the, the second part, Kath will come up and, and join me after a bit. So, uh, <coughs> one thing that you'll hear today, and you'll hear different times of different sessions with us, is that we work as mission mobilizers, and what that means is we want to promote missions um, in local churches in the United States, and we want we want to give information out for Christians to know what God is doing, and then we also want to help Christians get involved where they can say, I can make a difference locally where I live, and also globally, that maybe God might be calling you to some place to serve here. Um, <coughs> my wife, Kathy, works with Asian Justice Initiatives, uh, dealing with human trafficking, especially in uh, India, and a little bit in Thailand. And then we have a table display right out by the entrance door with some products and also sign-up sheets if you want to uh, get some information later today or buy some new products that uh, she has. So before I open God's Word, let me just open in prayer. Okay? Lord, thank you so much for this cold day here in February. Thanks that we can be in a church where we have warm fellowship good music, and Lord, most of all, that we can come and meet with brothers and sisters, and Lord, worship you, the Lord of glory, the Lord of creation, the Lord of our lives. And I pray today that you'd give us spiritual ears to hear, Lord, that you'd be pleased to open your word up to us, and Lord, that you'd show us new things, that you'd teach us new things, and make us more aware of your heart, Lord, not only for us, but also for the world that we can make a difference here and all around the world. Thank you for the privilege of studying your word, for the privilege of worshiping of you, and Lord, most of all, for the privilege that we can have of knowing you today. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to talk about churches a little bit as we get started this morning, some churches around the world. I don't know if you know, you probably you know some of this information, but the largest church in the world today is in Seoul, South Korea. And I, I checked this last week, and it's 700,000 some in membership. Another church um, that's, I was thinking about, okay, that's the largest church. What's like the most dangerous church to attend in the world? And the one that came to mind, there are probably other ones too, but one that came to mind is it's a, an Anglican church in Baghdad, and they said that they've been bombed five times in the last three years. And then the largest church in the Middle East is actually in Cairo. It's behind a garbage city, and it's called the Cave Church. It's actually built on the side of a mountain, and they they built this when uh, they were shooting fireworks off in the city, so they'd use dynamite there, uh, so people wouldn't know that they were building this big church, and it seats 10,000 people. And uh, it's the largest church in the Middle East. And then I was curious, well, what's the largest church, like just in size of a building? And it's a church that's in uh, Ivory Coast, uh, cost about $300 million, and it's just huge. It can see that everybody comes into this whole complex, 200,000 people. But the problem is, for whatever is 
However, what all the history of this, only several hundred people attend it today, but it's the largest structure in the world. Anyway, just some interesting facts about churches. Well, there was one church that is important for us to take a look at because it was the church that was a church that was known in New Testament times, and it's the Antioch Church. And, you know, we know about the Jerusalem Church where the apostles were and all that. But later in about the middle of the book of Acts, the church that became the church to watch was the Antioch Church. And I want to talk about that today. I want to kind of introduce a couple points and kind of get to a main point of, of what was special about them uh, for this part of the sermon. So I'd like you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Acts chapter 11 because Antioch was the church to watch. And in a sense for us today, it's a church that we can learn from and grow, I think, by watching what they were like. Acts chapter 11, and I, I'm, I'm just going to read a couple of verses here and there, but Acts chapter 11, verse 20 and 21. By the way, persecution had come to Jerusalem. A lot of the Christians were now being scattered about all of uh, this part of the world. And some of them came here to Antioch. So let me read from verse 20 and 21. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. So what's important about this passage, think before here that when they went out preaching, but the only people that they were focusing on was Jewish people. But now it's non-Jewish people, it's Greeks, or in a sense we call them Gentiles, who are hearing the message of Jesus Christ for the first time. And you can see here in verse 21, a large number, it says, who believed, turned to the Lord. And it wasn't just intellectual belief, but it was actually in a sense of a turning of the heart where they now became followers of Jesus Christ. Well, look what happened. It's an interesting story. The news about this event got back to Jerusalem. Remember, that was kind of the central church. And what do they do? They send one man by the name of Barnabas to Antioch to find out what's going on. So Barnabas goes, and he's, he sees what's happening here. In verse 23 and 24, let me read that. Then when he had come and witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced and began to encourage them all with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. So here he is, he's seen what God's done, he's encouraging them in their new faith, and it talks a little bit about Barnabas here, it says in verse 24, he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit, and of faith. And look what happens next in the next sentence, and considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. So not only was this great ingathering of people happening before Barnabas came, but Barnabas comes to encourage them strengthen them, and considerable numbers more were, were, were coming to know Jesus. So we can say the first point of what made this church special is that it was an evangelistic church. I mean, evangelism was the lifeblood of this church early on. They were preaching about Jesus. People were telling other people about Jesus, and many people were coming to know Jesus Christ. That's the first 
point of why Antioch was a church to model. The second point we see here, while well, you've got all these new believers, what does Barnabas do? Look at verse 25 and 26. He left for Tarsus. By the way, Tarsus is in southern Turkey to look for Saul. And Saul, we know him also as Apostle Paul. So he went to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And it came about that for an entire year they met with the church and taught considerable numbers, and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. So picture what you have here. You've got this whole group of people. We don't know how many, but it says considerable numbers were brought to, to Christ. Barnabas says, this is too much for me to do. He goes and finds Saul. He brings Saul back now to Antioch. And for a whole year, they meet with the, the church, and they're teaching considerable numbers about the Christian faith. This goes back, doesn't it? Remember Matthew 28? where Jesus gives the Great Commission, and one of the things he says is, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and what does he say? And teaching them all, right, that I have taught you. So in a sense, what they're doing here, not only are all these people becoming followers of Christ, but now they're spending time with them, a year with them, and they're discipling them so they can mature and grow in their faith. Okay, we're together on that so far. So two points. The first one, it's a church where they're preaching Jesus, they're doing evangelism. The second key about this church is that they're discipling young believers, that people are growing in the faith. So that's kind of an exciting thing. Turn with me now to Acts chapter 13. That was just the introduction of this sermon. Now we're going to look at what I want to talk about today, okay? So Acts chapter 13, let me just read these first few verses. Acts 13, now there were at Antioch in the church that was there prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon who was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Manian who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. And while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Let me just stop there right now. So what you have right here, what's taking place, is a description of the leaders of this church in Antioch. It says there are two kinds of leaders here. There were the prophets. Now prophets are kind of viewed two ways. One, they're the proclaimers or preachers of God's word, but they also can, also can foretell what's going to happen in the future. That's like the role of a, what a prophet can be. And then also what you have here are teachers. And we saw that from Acts 11, that they were teaching all of these young Christians. So these are some of the leaders who are here in Antioch. Now Barnabas is listed first, because remember he was a representative that came from Jerusalem, and he was the one that was, in a sense, bringing encouragement, bringing the teaching. Maybe that's why he's listed first here. But this is Barnabas. We also know him from Acts 4. And his nickname is actually Barnabas, which means the son of encouragement. So he's an encourager. Not only does he teach and do all those things, but he encourages people. So what we need in churches today are encouragers. We need Barnabases in churches. Right? That's what he was. And he was the perfect kind of a person 
to be in this church. And then you have Simon, who is called Niger. We don't know anything really about him. His nickname is Niger, and it says that, like, we'd say it means black or blacky kind of thing. It could be dark hair or darker skin. We don't know for sure, but he was one of the leaders. Another one here is uh, Lucius, and he was probably the one of the ones who came in Acts chapter 11 to bring the gospel, first of all. And then Manium here was brought up with Herod, so he had kind of a privileged <coughs> background, but he had come to Christ. And then last of all, you have Saul, who was listed. So, I mean, think of this. Here's five leaders, some we hadn't really heard before, but five leaders in this Antioch church. Imagine having Barnabas and the Apostle Paul as the leadership of your church, right? I mean, that's who is here. Okay, here's the point <coughs> what I want to look at, what's important for us to look at today. This is verse 2. Verse 2 uh, I use a new uh, American <coughs> translation here, and listen to what it says. While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting. So I looked through about ten <coughs> translations this last week on my Bible software to see what other translations said. Some says worshiping the Lord, another one says engaged in the worship of the Lord. So what we don't know here is we don't know <coughs> if they were just praying, if they were singing, if they were kneeling, if they were standing. We don't know if they were doing it for one minute or an hour or five hours or a night. We don't know anything about that in <coughs> particulars. But the fact is what was important here is that they were ministering to the Lord. Now think about that. Uh, when we come here, and it was great worship we have in our church. Don't you agree? Praise the Lord for the music we have and the worship. But here they were together, and it was, in a sense, a pleasing aroma. Minister, think of this, ministering to the Lord. There's a place in uh, Revelation where it talks about where they bring the, the bowls of incense to the Lord. In a sense, it's a pleasing odor to the Lord, but it's, it's the prayers <coughs> of God's people. So God delights when we come and worship. So here they are. They're worshiping him. It's a spiritual service of worship, and it's a wonderful thing, them and God. Now I started thinking about that because, you know, we don't have any descriptive involvement here of what took place, other than they were ministering to the Lord, they were fasting, so for a time they were giving up food. We don't know if that was just for one meal or longer, but they were doing that kind of combination of stuff. Uh, last May, I had the privilege of going over to Sierra Leone, Africa. This was before Ebola came. And they just had on the news the other day that Sierra Leone was the worst infected country of Ebola. There were 11,000 cases of Ebola in Sierra Leone. But God was doing, had been doing, and I'm sure today continues to do a wonderful work in Sierra Leone. Let me tell you a little bit about what they're doing. Before they go into a new area, they, they pray for three months, and not 24 hours a day, three months straight like that, but I mean they pray regularly for an area before they go in. And then they fast, they'll skip a meal or several meals during a week, and they'll pray for an area before they go in. And what's happened in the last 10 years or so now, they've seen 
well over 5,000 new churches planted in this country of Sierra Leone because they pray and they fast before they go in. Um, the leader of this movement, his name is, it's an African name, his first name and his last name sounds American, Shadonki Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> and Shadonki is the leader of this movement. And he said, he was telling us a story one day, and he said to our group that I was with, he said, uh, one day uh, the rebels were in control of this area where I was at, and I was arrested, and I was put in a shipping container. Remember a shipping container? They bring them from Asia. You know, you've seen the 40-foot-long containers, those kind of things. He was put in a shipping container and locked in there. No food or water or light, and it's hot in Africa. And the rebels are standing outside of this container, and he's on the inside of it. And he knows within a matter of hours, he's going to die either from the heat inside, which probably wouldn't happen, or they'd bring him out and they'd shoot him and kill him. So he said, what can I do? He said, I'm going to start worshiping the Lord. I'm going to start singing and enjoying God. Because, I mean, if I'm going to go to heaven, I'm, I'm going to get there anyway. I may as well enjoy the time here. <laughs> so he's standing inside of this shipping container all by himself, and he starts singing as loud as he can. Now, I can tell you, I've never stood inside a shipping container singing. I don't know if any of you have ever done that. I don't know if it echoes or it's just muffled. I don't know what it's like. But the fact is, he was standing inside the shipping container for hours, and he begins to worship the Lord. And the soldiers outside who are guarding him become upset. They're yelling at him, shut up, be quiet, don't sing anymore. But they're not coming in to bring them out. They're outside, they're banging on the container, and he just sings, and he sings, and he sings as loud as he can, and he goes singing for hours. Finally, the commander calls him out. He says, bring him out. So Shudanki goes to the commander, and the commander says, you're a bold man. And the commander says, I need old men in my army. I'm going to let you go home tonight, but I want you to come back tomorrow to tell my men how to be courageous. He goes home that night. Everybody is surprised to see him because they thought he was a dead man. But all because he was ministering and worshiping the Lord. This whole passage here, these men came together to worship the Lord. They had no idea what was going to happen as a result of the worshiping of the Lord and fasting. But look what happens in verse 2. While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul to the work which I have called them to do. It's a special thing here. We don't know how the Holy Spirit spoke to them, it was to all five or to one of them, but what's important is that the Holy Spirit met them and talked with them, where they all knew it. He said, again, set apart 
for me, Barnabas and Saul, two of these five people for the work to which I have called them. Well, what this ended up happening here, if you read through the rest of Acts 13 and into Acts through Acts 14, this became known as what was known as a first missionary journey. So these men weren't planning on going out anywhere. They were just content here so far being in Antioch. But the Holy Spirit realized there's a greater work beyond Antioch that needs to be done. Sometimes God will call people to himself. Sometimes God will call people to Christian service, like he did with Barnabas and Saul. And sometimes he will give you an additional call. Maybe later in life, maybe in midlife or younger or whatever it is, God might even today touch one of you or a family of you and say, you know, I want you to go, to go preach, to go do this or whatever it may be. So what happens? Well, verse 3. So I assume this happens sometime later, sometime later, because it was apparently just right afterward here. Then when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So a third characteristic of a healthy church, remember what we say first of all, actually it's a fourth one, I missed one. It's evangelism, it's discipleship, the last part of Acts 11, I'm sorry that I didn't look at that last paragraph, they took an offering because of a famine that was coming to give to the brethren living in Judea. So a third characteristic of a healthy church is they're concerned of welfare of people and they take offerings and give to help. That's the third characteristic. A fourth characteristic is that they're a mission-sending church. It's just not all about them, but it's about God and his kingdom that they're willing to send people to go out. That's a fourth characteristic of this Antioch church. They sent their leaders, two of their five leaders, out because the Holy Spirit called them to go. And the last characteristic of this church, which I'm not going to talk about today, but if you want to look at it, it's actually in the, on the back of the um, last paragraph or so of Acts 14. They came back, and it's a church that loves its missionaries. And they came back and they reported their the story and they stayed there a long time. So that's the church of Antioch. So what does this mean for us today? I think there's several things. It reminds us we should be about evangelism. We should be about teaching and discipleship. We should be about social action in the sense caring for people, helping where we can. And we have that in the free church through what's called like the crisis division of ministry through Reach Global, where we can help that way. It's also of sending laborers out from our church. And it's wonderful that we have different ones who go, some short-term, some long-term, that God calls people out. And hopefully we can be that kind of church. And I want to remind you, too, that if God ever calls you, um, don't say no. He might call you to go across the street, or might call you to go to Minneapolis, might call you to go out of state, might call you to go overseas for a week, or two weeks, for a year, or three years, or for a lifetime. Last fall, uh, Kathy and I had the privilege of leading a team 
uh, to India. One of the gals who was with us uh, was from North Dakota. She was adopted um, from India when she was very young, and she went back to India with us. She'd never been back there. But she's going to India now for the summer with her. The part of the free church ministry called Trek 7. So she'll be in Calcutta where we were for seven weeks. So that was some proof from a short term team that we led last fall. So let me close in prayer and, and uh, always be open to the Holy Spirit's voice. Lord, thank you so much for the church in Antioch. There's so many things we can learn from them from evangelism, from discipleship and teaching, from caring for the poor, from sending their readers out, and really loving on their missionaries. Thank you for our church, and Lord, for what you're doing here. And Lord, I pray that if there are ones here, or even families, singles or couples or families, God, if you want them to go, that you would touch them by your Holy Spirit, for you are the Lord of the harvest. Pray, pray in Jesus' name. Amen. How you might say today.